Hey there, folks. Welcome to episode 39 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. My name is Rob Woods, and this is the show for anyone who works in fundraising and who wants ideas for how to raise more money, enjoy their job, and make a bigger difference even during the pandemic. And today, if you work in high value fundraising, I hope you're going to find this episode really helpful. Because today we're looking at habits and skills that help you increase income through major donor fundraising with an excellent fundraiser named Jamal Iqbal, who is Head of Development at the Faculty of Engineering at Imperial College London. I first met Jamal when he took part in our Corporate Mastery Programme several years ago and was really impressed by his passion for learning, his clear thinking and his ability to generate fabulous results for the children's charity that he worked for at the time. Jamal is now in a different job, but his team have been achieving some excellent results this year, and I was keen to hear from him some key principles that he believes contribute to this success. During this chat, we explore ideas around focus and tenacity, how he approaches conversations with potential supporters, his top three book recommendations, and lots more. I really enjoyed this discussion with Jamal. Whether you work in higher education or for a charity or non-profit, I hope that you'll find it helpful too. This episode of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast is brought to you by the Bright Spot Members Club. As a practical alternative to one-off conferences and courses whose impact can fade all too quickly, the Members Club is an online resource that gives you ongoing access to a whole library of video training courses, monthly coaching webinars and live training events. It's all designed to help you learn, enjoy your job and raise more money. To join the 300 fundraisers already in the club, or just to find out more, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk. Hello, Jamal. Hi, Rob. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. At the end of a busy week, how's life treating you during this slightly crazy year? Yeah, um, yeah it's certainly been an interesting time, but I've started to get to used to the new routine now. Great, yeah. And um, who knows what the next few months is going to bring us, but uh, I, I guess if we're just taking things day by day, week by week, that's all we can do. And that's one reason I definitely wanted to talk to you because I, when we caught up the other day, it sounded to me like the word on the grapevine was correct, which is that in your role, uh, things are going quite well. And, and it sounds like your team are, are doing pretty well as well in the face of a difficult situation for, for fundraisers everywhere. But um, just to set the, the context, you and I first met, I think, when you were at the NSPCC, Children's Charity in the UK, but now you're at Imperial. What's your job title now? So I'm um, Head of Development for the Faculty of Engineering um, at Imperial uh, College. Um, And essentially, my role is uh, heading up all philanthropic income, which comes to uh, any one of our 10 departments. So I work very closely with 10 heads of department and also our Dean, uh, Professor Nigel Brandon. Okay, so that's a, a big job. And I think one of my questions, because I think it'll set it up nicely, I think you've got a slightly different take on development and fundraising than some other people I've met. And I, I sense some of that comes because of the career you've had so far. Like I said, before you worked as a children's charity, but before that, just talk us through top line what your job was originally. So, yeah, absolutely. So I spent uh, almost 10 years uh, in investment banking, uh, predominantly in in treasury roles for for private banks. Um, And essentially, I made the move across into the world of philanthropy again about 10 years ago. So I've I've sort of had a 20-year career, 10 years in investment banking and and, and 10 years in in development. Mm. And 
Um, goodness me, there's clearly going to be some crossovers between the skills you need to do well in either career. Um, what do you think some of those crossovers are? And what are, what are some of the things that you have quite deliberately taken from uh, that other world that you have found helpful now that you're a fundraiser? Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's some really transferable skills from uh, from the corporate sector into uh, fundraising. I think the first is is the ability to build relationships. I think relationship building in, in, in banking is absolutely key, especially with clients. And I think the type of individuals that I was interacting with tended to be high net worth individuals, which, again, you, you sort of come across in, in philanthropy as well, and also large corporates as well, because Again, that tends to be a, a, another area uh, to, to raise funding from. Um, interestingly, when I made the move across, it wasn't as easy as I uh, originally thought it would be. And I think that the reason for that is I think 60 or 70 percent of the skills are very transferable into the sector. But I think you need to understand this sort of 20, 30 percent around fundraising mechanics. So before I moved across, I didn't know what you know, major gifts were or, you know, corporate partnerships. So I think there was a there was a little bit of learning there. But I really do think that there's, um, uh, you know, real advantage uh, and, and real benefit of bringing individuals across from the private sector into development just because they have a different perspective. Mm. And do you think, I mean, of course, it's uh, difficult to generalise, but from your point of view, do you think that some people in that original s- sector you were in were especially thorough and or was there anything about the training you had then that that you found has stood you in good stead now that you're 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 a fundraiser but you're also a leader of fundraisers what are a couple of the principles that worked for you then that that now you keep going even though you're doing a different kind of job i always tell this story but when i first started my role in investment banking there was a there was a team of 18 of us who are all uh, doing a very similar sort of role in in, in treasury and uh, i'm often one to look uh, as 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 you are as well to look for the anomaly look for the individual who's who's creating these um you know astronomical results and look at their behaviors and one of the well, a couple of things that I noticed from one individual in particular who was who was very successful was just that the way that he uh, managed his his days, and that was something that really influenced me. And I and I was sort of mentored by him um, for quite a few years, and now I've taken that into into my training of of, of my team. But I think that um, I think time management in in our roles as as fundraisers is 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 very key, and I think that sometimes you can be led into sort of rabbit holes of, of lots of different distractions, but having um, laser-like focus on, on what you are doing in terms of your uh, portfolio of prospects that you're looking at, I think is key. So the first thing is to have a manageable amount. So if you've got you know 200 prospects that you're looking at any one time, that's probably too many. If you've only got five, that's probably too few, right? So trying to find that sweet spot of, of actually how many is, is, is manageable, I think is absolutely key. And I think, secondly, replenishing your uh, your pipeline, because once you start working on a particular gift, that can be quite time consuming. But quite often what happens is the moment that gift comes off, you haven't been doing any of that work in the background to replenish your your, your pipeline with new prospects. And that can be quite problematic. So there were some of the key learnings that I took across from um, from my previous career. This chimes with lots of research I've done elsewhere about th- th- these these bright spots, these anomalies that are just doing twice as well or even more compared to others. 
that approach to doing the most important things and prioritizing them and finding a way to not get pulled in other directions, though it can be extraordinarily hard. Um, that is a quality that I've noticed in, in most of the people who I've intervo- interviewed over the years who, who are doing really well. Practically speaking, I, it's one thing to sort of intellectually get your head around that truth. Are there any tips just Different things work for different people. But in the last decade, are are there a couple of practices or habits that you tend to do to help one keep giving time and energy and problem solving effort and courage, for want of a better word, to those key prospects or key projects that are likely to bring results? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the ways to sort of structure your day is breaking it down into the different sort of compartments, as it were. And I think that there's there's a certain amount that you need to give to reacting to, to emails. Obviously, we have lots of emails that are, that are sort of flooding in. But one of the things that I found really useful, actually, is that um, I will um, shut down my email for particular periods during the day when I have a particular task that I need to do, whether that's writing a proposal or writing a, a, um, a an email to a particular prospect or to an academic. So that then stops all of the distractions because one of the things is that even if it's bleeping in the background, you will, you will be distracted and you'll say, oh, just, oh, I've got an email from X. Oh, why don't I just have a quick read of it? Before you know it, you know, half an hour later, you've been distracted from from what you're doing. I think the other thing is that you've got to make time um, to we talk a lot about cultivation in in he and, and cultivation of our prospects and, uh, and and donors and you've got to donate a specific amount of time to have that interaction now uh, you know pre-covid that was might be a coffee or a dinner or have, hosting somebody on campus but even now in the midst of covid what i found is that lots of individuals actually um, it's easier to get time in their diaries because everyone's working from home and we're all using team and zoom so those interactions, even checking in with somebody, uh, I think are really important to keep the relationship and, and, and in essence, the gifts moving forward. Yeah, though it's not always easy. And the, just the sending of an email, sometimes, if it's well written, might get some good results. But it's there's usually more creativity, variety and persistence required to get these conversations. Um so again, the knowing that that is true and will serve your results and therefore your cause is step one of this, I think. And again, practically speaking, do you have any, I mean, no one tactic works for every supporter or in, indeed every, every nonprofit, but do you have a couple of tips that you and your team try to practice t- to get more of those conversations and interactions with the people who care about your cause. Yeah, absolutely. I think in, in HE in particular, we, uh, we've obviously got a, uh, an alumni base of a particular department or particular faculty. So we're, we, you know, we're quite privileged to be in that position, but I think one of the things to be mindful of is that a lot of the time uh, an individual might moved away from London, might have moved abroad and might not have any interaction with um, their old university. So that's again, something to be mindful of. So I think, being entrepreneurial in terms of the way that you connect uh, with a with an alumnus and initiate, you know, a conversation, as it were, I think is is is, is paramount. Um, and also, you find that there's, uh, you know, updating somebody on what's happening in their department, you know, at the moment, uh, you know, a chance to, you know, have a coffee if they're, you know, traveling through the UK. Any sort of initial interaction, I think, is key. And just be mindful of the fact that majority of individuals have gone to maybe two, three different institutions. So 
you know, you're one of maybe three that they've that they've gone to. One might be in the States, one might be in London, one might be somewhere else. So I think that's something to be to be mindful of. Um, and I think that that initial uh, interaction, majority of the time for us, isn't focused uh, uh, around philanthropy. Is really just trying to understand a little bit more about their time at the college and their professional journey post graduation, because I think that's that's absolutely um, key. And although you know, we work in development. I think we're also sort of, you know, part of our roles is is alumni relations because if you've gone to any university, you are part of a global community and staying in touch with that global community, even if it's to catch up and find out a little bit more about their journey, I think is absolutely is absolutely key. So that would be my my strategy. Yeah. And um I think as obvious as that sounds, in a way, I think Deep down, sometimes someone who works in development or, or fundraising, deep down, they weren't trying to get the conversation just to care and catch up as an end in and of itself. They genuinely were sending the email to try and get some money, get something somehow. And, uh, you know, some might say this is uh, just semantics, but to me, the clear intention and valuing the intention as just to have a conversation and get nothing in return or simply to understand someone, the clarity that that's why what you're trying to do, I think it can make you more brave and more creative because you, you don't feel like you're manipulating, you're trying to take something. You know, if you have the conversation, it's a good thing to aim for in and of itself. And the more we make that shift, we're going to try harder to reach out for it because we don't feel like we're, we're, we're endeavouring to do some kind of um, play some bigger game or some some manipulation. Of course, the the glorious paradox is the more you become a giver, not a taker. The paradox is some of those conversations, in and of themselves, might lead to a relationship where someone wants to set, step forward. So it serves your your bigger picture need for development and for funding anyway, but but not not confusing the two. And not letting the, the need in due course for funding to get in the way of the desire simply to catch up with people. I think that can help a fundraiser to be more proactive, brave, creative and in due course, you know, do better at, at, at this um, challenge of engagement. Yeah, I think there's two things. The, the first is that um, not every individual that you speak to uh, is, 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 is going gonna, is gonna to make a gift. So some somebody you might just talk to and hear about their journey. Somebody might want to mentor uh, and 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 volunteer. Somebody might want to speak to some students, and then there might be an individual that wants to wants to give. So, like I said, you know, there's there's various different instances there, and and you know, not all of them are directly related to to philanthropy. I think the second thing to be really mindful of as well, and this is something that I I talk a lot about, is that I speak to hundreds of people every every year. And the vast majority of them don't, you know, the first thing that we talk about isn't philanthropy. Some of them, you know, aren't even, you know, philanthropy isn't even on their radar. But through conversations, you start to, um, you know, talk about various um, initiatives, etc. And they start getting, you know, interested. But the vast majority of people aren't, you know, that's that's not on their mind. You know, it's it's something that, you know, you just start talking about. And it's, it's and, and that's why we call them discovery conversations, because you, you might discover that philanthropy is something that you're interested in. But it's not... As fundraisers, we think that's the first thing that an individual wants to talk about, and and it really is. Yeah, that makes sense. Sometimes, Jamal, I love kind of going deeper in the style of conversation we've had just now. Just occasionally on the podcast, I also just try out quick-fire questions. So um, 
if it's all right with you, I'm going to kind of ask you these questions. I don't need necessarily a long answer. It might be a short, sharp one, or you might feel willing to expand if you like. But if you're up for that, here's my first question. Jamal Iqbal, in the last five years, has there been a new belief, habit or behaviour that has most helped you in your job? Yeah, there has actually. I, I think, uh, and this is this will be a surprising one. I've actually, um, I've actually implemented uh, 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 a, a physical uh, exercise part to my day, and also a part where I, uh, where I switch off from my laptop and my phone, and without any uh, device at all, will will spend I don't know maybe forty five minutes, you know, for for a walk just to just clear my mind. That is, I found that made me a lot more uh, productive than without exercise and without that mental mental break fantastic um and many of us sort of know this but we think we're too busy to actually implement it you know research in a book excellent book um by ariana huffington called rest uh and uh that book i sometimes talk about called the miracle morning um really do suggest to me that if you test out for a week the doing a, a more deliberate proper switch off time for instance, doing exercise, it pays you back in terms of your pro- productivity. So uh, thank you for sharing that one. Question two, Jamal, if metaphorically speaking, you could have a giant billboard, which all fundraisers or development officers or charities would see, what would it say or and why? Could be a few words, could be a short paragraph, could be someone else's quote. Hmm, that's an interesting one. I think I'll probably just have one word, which is tenacity. Which I think every single fundraiser needs to needs to have that one uh, enduring uh, quality. Uh, and I think that uh, anybody who works in this profession uh, will know that uh, it's great when we talk about the big story where you've you know closed uh, you know a huge gift. But we've all been in that place where you know we've when we, we've had you know no's or something hasn't gone according to plan. And I think that. Uh, any good or, or exceptional fundraiser will have have that one quality in abundance, tenacity. That's the that's the word. Yeah, and it's very. I'm just smiling to hear you you say that because you know you and I met four or five years ago, and I noticed and admired many qualities in you then. But one of the key ones that stood out ahead of most of the other people on that cohort on that course was that that persistence and that tenacity. So I'm. Uh, I'm not surprised that you've brought that out as a very high value on your list. Uh, Third question, is there a book uh, that you found especially interesting or helpful or influential to your thinking or to your career? Uh, It might be about fundraising. It might be about anything. Yeah, well, I'm going to cheat here and I'm going to give you three books because these are the three books that anybody who joins my team, I absolutely insist that they have to read. Um, So any fundraiser, I would say these were... These should be on your bookshelf, and I always I would encourage you to buy buy a copy so you can write notes in it. I often say don't borrow somebody else's and don't lend them to anybody else. Keep them. So that would be uh, influenced by uh, Robert Cialdini, um, the Power of Moments uh, by Chip Heath, and Pitch Anything uh, by Oren Claff. Those three books would be my recommendations. Thank you, Jamal. Uh, I love all three of those, and I'll make sure I. Uh make those nice and clear in the episode notes on our website if if uh, people want to check them out okay next question is there any advice you'd give to a smart determined person who's just entered the development or fundraising profession yes i would say um the first thing 
I would do is find a good mentor, find somebody who is in the field of fundraising that you're you are in, who has been wildly successful, and get them as a mentor. I uh, have a, a, a mentor um, who uh, used to be at um, London School of Economics, and uh, I uh, and I bother them on a very regular basis basis to 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 seek counsel um to to knock ideas around and also just talk about um uh, you know it, you know general things that I might be working on and I think that the the one thing which I found really valuable for a mentor is a sounding board do you know when you've got that prospect where you're stuck and you're not sure what your next move is or you've got a prospect which is moving really well and you're and and you're just thinking about how you might steward that prospect or how you might you know close a particular gift uh, i think a mentor is is absolutely key mm. certainly i have found that to be true of, of my career as well it's made such a difference being able to talk to those people and just one practical tip i would give for the listener which is rather than make too big an ask of someone and their time and say oh reaching out to you would you be my mentor if you f- can think of a couple of people who who might fit the, for the bill or someone you know who might know of such people that's step one and then don't then ask will you be my mentor just ask for the first step do you have 20 minutes i'd love to to i really really admire your book or i really heard of your reputation i really was so inspired to see how well you're doing uh could i just i'm a bit stuck could i get 20 minutes of advice i, I wonder if you could help me now again be respectful they may need to say no, and that's fine. But if they then say yes and it goes well, at that point, they are probably, hopefully, going to have enjoyed doing that. And at that point, if you then ask if they would consider you being able to check in with them for ha- half an hour or an hour once a month, then you're more likely to get a yes. Whilst, again, as Amanda Palmer would say, even making that ask in a non-pushy way, respectfully understanding that busy people might not be able to say yes. But if you do it in those stages and with those beliefs, I have found um, many people are more likely to get this kind of mentor support uh, rather than make one, one ask by email that was too big a deal and then get no and then be dis- feel discouraged. Yeah, and I've done or had various approaches for, for, for mentoring. And I think what the person who's reaching out needs to be mindful of, A, the individual's time, and and B, what are you actually, you know, what are you actually asking for in terms of commitment? Because if somebody reaches out and says, I'd like, you know, let's have an initial coffee just to talk about, you know, what we want to do. And obviously if that turns into mentoring. If somebody says, I want half an hour with you every three months, that's quite doable. But if somebody reaches out and says, could you mentor me? Let's have an hour, you know, every two weeks. That's, that's not going to be, that's not going to happen. So to, to be mindful of what your, what you, what your commitment is, i.e. minimum level of commitment. And also I think, you know, identifying the areas that you, that you'd like to develop or you want to help on as well, I think is, is, uh, it's important to outline when you're, you know, when you're asking for help. Mm. Great advice. There's lots of good advice out there. Sometimes a good piece of advice makes sense in a certain context, but it can be misunderstood or it can be retweeted or respoken at a team meeting or on a conference stage and actually give an unhelpful impression. From your point of view, have you ever heard some some advice bandied around in our sector that you wouldn't necessarily agree with in the way that people often say it or hear it i think just one of the things that i found with with the sector in general is that i think we're 
you know, fundraising for me is actually quite straightforward. Everything is about, you know, building a relationship with an individual, correct? You know, or, or a company. And, and, and I think that sometimes, uh, we overcomplicate what fundraising actually is. You know, people, you know, people tend to give to, to other people, right? And, uh, and I think that that over, complicating what is essentially quite a simple uh you know profession i think it can be quite uh, uh quite confusing especially for individuals who are coming into this you know they make it sound so complex you know actually um, you know this sounds like it's going to take me 15 or 20 years to be able to raise my first gift actually it's not when you boil it down the principles are are, are quite straightforward and and one thing that springs to mind actually i saw some uh, research only yesterday actually in the us and i think it was across five five institutions they were looking at principal gifts that they'd they'd had at these five uh, five institutions and they'd done lots of analysis and and the two the two things that they came away with i think the first was that every single person who'd given had a personal relationship with the development officer that they'd been interacting with a you know a solid personal relationship and secondly i think 84% of them had had come come back to campus a couple of times before they before they made a gift and and that first bit really sticks with me is that you know that's a hundred percent of those donors had a relationship with the uh, with the fundraising officer. Mm. Yeah, I think that's such a valuable one, and you've reminded me of when it in my head when I think of some wonderful stars who I've admired and learned from in this field. One of the things they've all got in common is they're good with people, and crucially, they make time to spend to do relationship, and they and therefore they find ways tools, systems, tricks to get the other stuff out of the way so that they're having more decent conversations, more relationship in any given working week across their career. And that helps some supporters want to give really generously. And so the more we keep, by all means, there is system, there are tactics, there are techniques, but all of them are fundamentally are to serve this priority of, of those great relationships. Um, my question, next question is, in the last five years, Jamal, have you got better at saying no to distractions? And if so, do you have any tips for anyone else who wants to improve this crucial skill? Yeah, I think I think you need to be, um, I always talk about laser, laser-like focus, but it's, it's very true. The, the the email one is quite is quite obvious you know you can switch you know you can switch that off so that you're not distracted but i think the second thing is even when you're in an institu- in an institution you can get quite easily distracted you have to be quite firm about what your particular role is within an institution so you can get drawn into five or six different things which uh you know aren't relevant to to your actual role and being um being quite direct and saying actually that this is this is my role uh, uh you know and I, I need to really focus in on 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 this bit and maybe somebody might give you uh, a query which you think oh actually i can help help with that and it might consume three or four hours and you might be better off just giving it to the actual relevant department you know and saying actually could you could you have a look at this query for me so i think knowing what your role is and your focus is um and knowing that you've got a group of or an infrastructure around you which is built to 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 to, to, work, to work on specific areas and being able to distribute that. I think quite often we get into this mindset where if anything comes into your inbox, you have to be the person to deal with it. That's not the case. Yes, that makes sense. And so, Jamal, 
I need to bring this conversation to a close. You've been extremely generous with your time. Huge congratulations to you and your team. It sounds like they're working really hard and they're doing really well, getting some great results. Uh, So well done. And secondly, thank you so much for making time to come and share with the podcast listeners your ideas and advice so that hopefully it can help and inspire them as well. I do really appreciate it. Jamal Iqbal, thank you ever so much for joining us on the podcast. Goodbye. Thanks, Rob. So there you go. I hope you found Jamal's insights and examples were helpful. If so, please remember to subscribe to the podcast today, as I'll soon be releasing the second half of my interview with Jamal, in which we zero in on his tips for inspiring supporters through the power of story. For now, though, you can find a short summary, the full transcript, and some details of the books we discussed in the episode notes of the blog and podcast section of my website, which is brightspotfundraising.co. If you'd like to find out more about our training, coaching and inspiration for fundraisers, the Brightspot Members Club, you can find out more at brightspotmembersclub.co.uk forward slash join. There you can get a sense of all the resources that our 300 plus members get access to, including an extensive library of my best training films and downloads available 24-7, live weekly coaching calls on a range of specialist topics to suit the pandemic and our supportive community. And if you found my conversation with Jamal useful or encouraging, I'd be incredibly grateful if you could take a moment to share it on with other fundraisers, either directly or by social media, so that we can get these ideas out to as many charities as possible during this difficult year. And if you want to get in touch, Jamal and I are both on LinkedIn and on Twitter, I am at Woods underscore Rob. Finally, thank you so much for making time to listen today. Until the next time, hang in there, And good luck with everything you're doing to make a positive difference.